Well, hello, and welcome back to Killing the Great White Male. This is our first episode in Season 2. The break was a little longer than intended. And the worst part was I had these recordings done within uh, just a few weeks of when I thought I was going to get to restart the season. Um, But it's also taken a while to get editing done. So here we are. We're going to move forward anyway. I have to say, first off, a huge thank you to listeners. Um, The biggest pressure that I had to get back to getting this all out to you folks was the fact that you were still downloading old episodes. (laughs) And it, it just it kept reminding me I'd see a couple dozen downloads on weeks when I hadn't recorded or presented anything to y'all in in months. And it it reminded me that we're not alone in doing this work. And so I, I deeply appreciate you, whether you knew it or not, you were encouraging me. And uh, um, uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. And uh, and there's the encouragement too. Please do have the conversations. Um, uh, share this thing on Facebook. Share it on social media. Um, we are our Facebook page, Killing the Great White Male. Um, go like it, subscribe, do do whatever things you like to do on social media. But most importantly, when you see an episode or when you have you listen to an episode, really, that hits you, please share it. Um, let people know that there are there are ways that we can do this work together. Um, and this is one of those places where I hope I hope that's what we're doing. Um, and reach out if you have questions, if you have a book that I should read with somebody. If you want to come on the show and read a book with me, let me know. I've got a backlog right now of about four months, but I'd love to have the conversation with you too. So let's dive in. Today's conversation, well, this, I mean, really, this conversation is going to take a while for us to get through, um, but it's with Dr. Vincent Gaddis. Uh, he's uh, an amazing uh, department head. Um at uh, Benedictine uh, University. Um, And we got to sit down and discuss Robert Jones's book, White Too Long. Robert Jones, uh, as a a white dude, as an evangelical by birth, um, took a look at religion in this country and, and asked the question, why is it that religious bias uh, seem or religion and racial bias go hand in hand. So he he did a ton of the work for us, um, but we're going to do the work now of of rooting through it and figuring out what it does to us to to engage the material. Doctor Gaddis is uh, uh, someone that I just met, um, a friend of uh, Torian's. Uh, Torian and I started the podcast "Where's Your Heart" last summer, uh, the live stream, and now Teresa. Robinson and I are uh, doing the on-screen bit while Torian does a whole bunch of exciting, fun work for uh, the new company that he's with. But um, Dr. Gaddis, with without even having met me, agreed to sit down and have this amazing conversation. So please, uh, yeah, jump in, jump into the conversation. Uh, I look forward to hearing from you on the other side. Good morning, Dr. Gaddis. Good morning. How are you, my friend? 
I'm doing great, Royce. I am doing really good. Good, good. So just by way of introduction for uh, our audience, um, so first off, for you, the the podcast is called Killing the Great White Male. It's a podcast where I look at. I love. <laughs> there are certain. I love you. <laughs> Thank you, Vincent. I love you. <laughs> there, there are folks who giggle about that title. It's never white men. When I have white men on the show, we never giggle about the title. <laughs> There's always that part of us that's scared shitless. They don't want to be part of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, yeah. It, it, Yes and no. Like the the white men that I have on this show take the work that the take the type of work that we do here very very seriously because it's yeah. it's very personal and it's painful as hell. Mm. Um, I talk about this project as being one where we first have to admit that we have privilege, and then second off, figure out how to fuck it up. Like how do we te- you know how do we use that privilege or, or apply that privilege or misbehave within the the circumstances of it such that we erode the system that gives us that privilege um Mm -hmm. and yes yes in fact um, and i know we're talking about a particular text but as you just said that uh reminds me back to um uh how to be an anti-racist yes uh ibram x kendi right there's either racist ideas or anti-racist ideas, racist policy or anti-racist policy, and uh, and we need to start putting juxtaposing things in that kind of language, that kind of stark contrast. Because I fear most of the time, what we want to, what we really want to do, is be able to straddle some kind of gray, yes. so we don't have to call it what it is and we can just sort of mumble and grumble about it but not change it yes Mm -hmm. so uh a guest and i read that last fall together and then recorded on it and it that is so it's so weird because in so many okay so first off by way of introduction for the audience this is dr vincent gaddis He's uh, the department chair for philosophy, history, and theology at Benedictine College. Oh, gosh. I'm now forgetting. Is that the full name of the college? Benedictine, Benedictine University Benedictine uh, in University. Lyle, Illinois. Uh, please come and be a student. We need students. <laughs> and need good students, too, who can look at things critically. <laughs> so it... Um, for the, I mean, for the audience, so that the audience knows, you're you're also a, a minister, um, a preacher, um, like you, you are this this human that that loves all of this. Um, so yeah, so so there's that. Second off, when we recorded on this, that was the you know in most in most of what's going on culturally in this country, I I love the work of reclaiming the middle ground and finding the gray areas, right? Because that's one of the problems that we're having in this country right now is this stark division. Mm-hmm. But this is one of those places where that that gray area thinking serves the—I mean, it definitely serves racism. It It's that gray area thinking is what uh, MLK was critiquing in his letter from a Birmingham jail. White yes. moderates being the stumbling block to civil rights— because yes. we we love peace more than we love justice, mm-hmm. and we forget, right. uh, and you know this shit, uh, we forget that when we translate peace from the Bible, 
that that term, the Hebrew term that we translate as peace, has 32 other translations and includes mm-hmm. justice. It includes uh, it includes prosperity. It includes right relationship. It includes all of these other things that must be in place because otherwise it's not peace. It's just the absence of open conflict, of armed conflict. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean— You sure you're not a preacher? Oh, I, I was for, for for quite a few years. I probably still am, but just in, from a, <laughs> in a in a di- in a little different way. Well, we'll have to talk about that history someday. <laughs> I mean, feel free. It's it's an open book. Yeah. It's fun. Um, so today we're here to discuss um, uh, Robert Jones's book "White Too Long." Um, and first off, if you haven't. Uh, so this one is, I, I love this book because he does a good job of both sandwiching solid sociological study in here, um, but also being very clear about his conclusions and his personal journey within it, which to me is often missing when I read older sociological studies, right? Yes, absolutely. Well, and his, um, uh, I, I think what, what sets this book apart in that way is the self-awareness to see that, you know, I was born or not I, he was born into this sort of uh, religion of privilege that had so entangled itself within racist ideology. It wasn't until he grew up and started thinking critically that he could even separate those things out. And uh, the way that, the way that institutional uh, racism or racist policy, racist ideology works is to blind those who benefit to never have to question the entanglement. Yeah. It's- and he was, to, and, and that's the, the, I think one of the really important parts of this book is that he recognizes, oh, when I went to a summer camp and there weren't mm. any black kids or the black kid was treated, you know, unfairly yep. with what today we might call microaggressions. Oh, that was racist. And I wasn't even paying attention. Yes. It, it he's, I, I really appreciated his book for that for his willingness to be that transparent. It, I mean, it's reminding mm-hmm. me as I do the editing on my book that I have to be radically vulnerable and, and honest about the parts of me that did things like that. It, 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 it makes me, um, so my editors had me read um, the prologue to Ellison's invisible man um, mm. to, to kind of examine the notion of the sleepers, the sleeping ones, as he calls them. Um, and as, as he calls white people and, uh, Coates in his book uh, Between Me and the World does the same thing. He talks about white people as the dreamers. Um, right. They're so ensconced with this dream that they just, you know, and, and that's what makes us able to ignore those things to the detriment of our own humanity. And that's one of the things I appreciate about Long is he drives that point home, um, mm-hmm. as do several of these other authors we've mentioned. But it's this not only dehumanizes people who are blessed with awesome melanation it dehumanizes white people too it destroys our humanity um this this kind yeah anyway there's there's a lot there no 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 you're no no you're you're absolutely right and this and and well and we can uh uh, and and we can flow a little bit between the book and some other texts and and one of which that um that he um 
that Jones uh, references, and I think it was in a really important text within this discussion, was um, uh, Emerson and Smith, Divided by Faith, Yeah, uh, White Evangelicals and the Problem of Race in America. Yeah. And, uh, and, and in that book, uh, they set out this chart, this uh, a schematic way of thinking in which uh, he says, uh, they say, well, you know, the, the problem with the white church or white people or a racist system is that the heavy understanding of people is taken out of systematic thinking and they the the dreamers the silent ones live their lives in a realm that is highlighted by individual free will accountability yeah so everything is down to the level of the individual you're poor yep. because you make poor choices yep. oh i have a, i'm a homeowner because i have thrift and i'm this and that and the other thing which is completely antithetical yeah to one of those definitions of shalom which is community yes yes that we are we are part of a larger humanity and the long as long as we remain wedded to these um, racist ideas or racist culture then the longer the dreamers the sleepers are not looking at what all the rest of us are looking at which is the structure yeah well, we it, recognize that freedom happens within a context of the choices that i can make Yes, within a context and, and therefore within community. But right. Because absolutely. of the people that we're around. Right. And right. It, and the larger context of the structural impediments that um, that define the very choices that I have. You know, I mean, people yeah. love to say, well, you know, Colin, uh, Colin Powell grew up poor, or, you know, name whoever it is, you know, they rose up out of the ghetto, so therefore everybody can. Well, the truth is they are the exceptions. Number one, they're exceptions, and number two, it took policy. Right. Colin Powell is one of the first people to to admit, if I remember correctly, I think it's it's Colin Powell that I'm thinking of, to admit that he knows he was a, uh, a, a affirmative uh, action admission. No, no question about it. And the uh, and, and my point there is is that you have people is that the dreamers, the sleepers yeah. think that everything is by individual yes. action and therefore they look at, oh, well, Vince Gaddis is black. He's got a PhD, so anybody can get a Well, which is true. If I can get one, anybody <laughs> can get a PhD. But, 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 more, to, but, but more to the point in, the, in this case is that the dreamers, the sleepers, see the exceptions and think that's the rule rather yes. than looking at poverty and the structure of it. And that's the rule. And, right. That's what we have to attack. Yes. But uh, but anyway, back to white too long. Well, well, but but in the, in the same <laughs> thing right there, um, I make the argument and the, I mean, the 
this project, Killing the Great White Male, mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. all about making the argument that by remaining asleep, we actually, again, our, our own humanity is eroded because mm -hmm. we are asleep to each other, too, because we yes. can't relate authentically and honestly to each other. We're not allowed to talk about things that are important to us with each other. And, yes, absolutely. I mean, that and then because the construction of the, what I call the great white male, this mythical bullshit thing that white men are automatically attributed, but that, I mean, the, the first civil rights movement was all about black men becoming white men. And the the feminist movement of the 70s was all about women, white women specifically becoming white men. It was all about trying to get that power, trying to get that privilege. Um, and it's... It, I'm sitting here making the argument, trust me, you don't want this shit. Because <laughs> it's isolating and awful because that rugged individualism, that that myth is so problematic for the human animal. If you want to yes. torture somebody, isolate them. Yes, absolutely. Well, and, you know, and, and let me tie that back a little bit to the to the book in this yeah, sense. Yeah. You've got, um, and and he does a great job in the uh, uh, the statistical arena, the sociological part of this book, um, which is very important. And I think anyone who's serious about really uh, examining the sociology of Christianity, particularly white Christianity, mm -hmm. needs to look at this this text because he has some. Um, uh, he highlights this this uh, 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 this survey results that most whites see themselves as not racist. Yes. And yet, when the indexing is done on uh, what he calls uh, probability of white religious identities shifting from least to most racist on this racism index. And there's a whole uh, back in chapter on the methodologies of all this. We don't have time to go into it, but they are all legitimate um, sociological um, uh, profiles and methodologies. And, and the they're all done. That, to, the to, group that, to, oh, I'm sorry. Well, and they're all done to deal with the fact that Sociological. One of the challenges of sociolo sociological studies is the self-reporting aspect, meaning people are saying, I am this, meaning exactly mm -hmm. what you just said. They say, I am not racist, but then when you ask them concrete actions about, you know, do you do this? Do you do that? And they're recalling concrete actions. Suddenly, the racism index begins to appear, and that's that's what that's what this particular study did so well. I think. Yeah. So yes, sorry, absolutely. Continue. And oh no, no, no. That that that's a very important um, point to make. But when you look at the white Christian as a whole, and then he breaks it out between um, religion, you know, uh, Catholic, Protestant, mainline Protestant, evangelical Protestant. When you look at those groups, they are all <laughs> tending towards most racist on predicted probability of are you a racist? Yes. So in other words, it's a – and this is my big takeaway from the book, and we're going to get into more depth on other topics in a minute. But 
I've been really kind of pondering this this notion, and uh, maybe you agree with this. One of the conclusions I've been taking away from this book as I've reread it, uh, preparing for this show, is when you look at white Christians on the issue of race, if they believe they're not racist, but clearly the evidence is that they are, Mm -hmm. there is a psychological term for this, delusion. Yes. And so it's like, okay, how do you break Mm. the delusion when people already believe that they're hearing the truth. I mean, yeah, absolutely. There's a way in which the terms that I used from Ellison and Coates are too benign. Sleeping and, uh, and dreaming are way too benign because you can wake mm-hmm. from a dream. You can wake up from a sleep. Um, and these folks are refusing to. I mean, we saw that, you know, two weeks ago uh, in, in the invasion of, of the Capitol. Mm-hmm. Like, the, yeah. this was delusion to a level that I, it's boggling. Like, I, Well, and, and it goes back to, or, or Harkins is founded in, in, well, <laughs> oh man, don't get me started on this. But anyway, it's founded oh, we're starting. in, it's founded in a lie. Well, and in, right, it's it's yeah. founded in a, it's founded in a lie. White Christian nationalism—that's mm. that's what was going on on that Capitol. Yes, is founded in a lie that the United States was founded by evangelical Protestant Christians and is a nation for white evangelical Protestant Christians. Yep, and that is not how this they were deists yes okay if most if most if most evangel white evangelicals got got a hold of thomas jefferson's bible and looked at it minus all the miracles and everything else because he didn't believe that that could ever be true yeah they'd be a they'd they'd reject it out of hand but they built an entire mythology perpetuate racism but a whole mythology that says to be american is to be white and not just to be white to be a white evangelical protestant and when that reality was being challenged right because you can, if if this nation is supposed to be for white evangelical protestants then there's no way all these black people were consequential in an election. Yes, because so they don't exist. They're not to, humans. So it's therefore it's got to be illegitimate. Yep. Therefore, because the government doesn't want to hand itself over to what we believe are quote unquote Christian values like racism, then we're going to go in there and overthrow the constitutionally elected government. I mean, it's it's. And and it goes back to this 
sociology that he's done of this history of, of the church and of mainline white Protestant um, denominations that that not only were pro-slavery, but were pro-Jim Crow. White evangelicals missed the entire civil rights movement, right? Yeah. Yeah. And when you go back to looking at the predictability of whites on this racist index, the group that is the least racist or tending towards being not racist are white religiously unaffiliated. Right there. I believe in God, I believe in Christ, but I'm not buying into your racism. Let's just sit with that fact for a minute, that religiously unaffiliated people, according to all the research that Dr. Jones did and quite a few other studies that have been done on this topic, so various ways of measuring religiosity, various ways of of, uh, uh, noting racism, various indexes of, of how racism shows up in our lives, even when we... We all think of racism as using the N-word, but racism is way bigger than that. But how is it that people who are bent on wanting the, well, supposed to be bent on wanting the best for the world, religiously affiliated folks, that there's automatically an uptick in racism in this country the second you're affiliated with, with religion? That's deeply troubling to me. Um, that those of us who are religiously unaffiliated are the least racist group that show up in these studies. So more of this conversation next time. I look forward to seeing you then.